Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The disciples had just taken part in a miracle. They took the loaves and the fishes, blessed and broke, uh, Jesus blessed and broke, and and distributed them to the large crowd of over 5,000 people. The disciples were astonished. Each one of them came back with a basket full of leftovers. All at the Lord's bidding, they fed the crowds with what the Lord had blessed. It was amazing. Well, after they were done, Jesus commanded them to cross the Sea of Galilee. Jesus himself was dismissing the crowd, sending them off with his blessing before going up in the mountain alone to pray. The disciples didn't ask where they were going to meet Jesus. They didn't ask him how he was going to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. For those of you who know, it's eight miles across at the widest part. It's 33 miles in circumference, so it's not unreasonable to think that, that perhaps Jesus would have walked along part of the shore or taken another boat across. But Matthew simply says that after the long day, they got into their boat and they set sail. Now time passes for the sailing disciples. The sun set and the darkness of the night was upon them, and that's when the waves and the wind started whipping up. Still a long way off from shore, they're caught in the midst of a storm. And it raged on into the night, to the fourth watch of the night precisely, somewhere between three and five in the morning when it's darkest outside. So here we have 12 disciples in a boat in high winds and churning seas in the darkest hour of the night. It's not the place that these disciples wanted to be. Could you blame them? Would you want to be there? It was a number of years ago now when the storm suddenly whipped up for my uncle. And it soon became one of his darkest hours. Now, he wasn't sailing on the Sea of Galilee, of course, but he was facing a storm of a different kind. My uncle, if you've ever met him, or if you would have met him, was a big guy with a big personality. In fact, one of my younger cousins, when he was much younger, referred to my uncle as Jabba the Hutt. My uncle was diagnosed with stomach cancer, and that storm hit hard. He had surgery to remove much of his stomach, but that didn't stop the spread. He was unable to eat much, and in a short period of time, he got so thin that not for his large personality, recognized him. He returned to his home for hospice care. And I tell you the truth, it was a dark time, and the storm raged. This wasn't the place where he wanted to be. This wasn't the place where his family wanted to be either. The storm was fierce on the Sea of Galilee that night. As the disciples were being tossed to and fro by the waves, they looked out and they saw this amazing and unbelievable, unexplainable sight. A figure was coming towards them, rising and falling with the crests and the depressions of the waves and not being overwhelmed by them, but walking on top of the water as if walking on dry ground. For the disciples, the only logical conclusion was that this was some sort of ghost or spirit coming out to them in the middle of the storm. They had no idea if it was approaching them for good or for evil. 
And so here these 12 disciples are in the midst of the storm. And to add to that, they have this frightening vision of someone walking on the water to them. It always seems to happen kind of like that, doesn't it? I mean, that's why we say things like, you know, when it rains, it pours, or if it weren't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. It seems like it's one thing on top of another piling up on your plate so that it's far too much for you to bear. It always seems like the worst storms come in the middle of the night with one more thing on top of that. But in the middle of that particular night, a familiar voice cried out to them over the howling winds and the sound of the crashing waves. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Well, it was Jesus. He was coming to be with his disciples in the midst of the storm in the darkest hour of the night. Jesus was coming to them as the waves battered them and as the wind tossed their boat and as they were filled with fear and terror. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take note that as Jesus is calling out to the disciples, the storm doesn't stop. The sky doesn't suddenly get light. But hope is now enkindled. For the disciples heard the very word of God that creates and sustains not only creation, but faith and hope. It is I, said Jesus. Just as he said to Moses so many years before in the burning bush, I am who I am, it is I. In the midst of this very real storm, on the inky blackness of the night, God is coming to be with his people. In the midst of this storm, Jesus is living up to his namesake, which is Emmanuel, God with us. And so he was. In the midst of the storm that cancer was whipping up against my uncle, Jesus was with him. My aunt, his wife, reminded him frequently of that, uh, of that reality. Other family members, of course, shared the promises of God with him, reminding him that God would never leave or forsake his baptized children. Of course, his pastor would visit with him, spoke God's word to him, communed him with the very body and the blood of Jesus, and true to Jesus' word of promise, he was there with him. the storm raged on. I think, if we're honest, fear was still present, but that fear now was sanctified. For my uncle, it wasn't the fear of, it was, it was now the fear of the grief and the parting that death brings from loved ones, not the fear of death itself. For even as the storm raged on, my uncle heard the voice of Jesus calling over the sound of the storm, take courage it is I, don't be afraid, I am Emmanuel, I am with you. The boat continued to be rocked violently by the wind and the waves, and Jesus continued to come to his disciples. 
but now emboldened by the promise and the presence of uh, the command of their Lord, Peter called out from the boat, If it's you, call me to come out of the water. And Jesus bid him come. Now let's picture Peter swinging one leg over the side of the heaving boat and then the other and then beginning to walk on top of the water to Jesus until the reality of where he was sunk in. He saw the size of the waves, he felt the force of the wind, and that's when Peter, the rock, lived up to his namesake and began to sink into the stormy sea. It was at this moment that Peter was fully aware of his dire situation. He knew that there was no way for him to save himself. Peter knew that he was about to drown and die and that his body would be lost forever at the bottom of Galilee's sea. But in that moment, Peter called out to Jesus, the one whose name actually means Savior. And again, Jesus lives up to his namesake. He immediately reached out his hand, grabbed Peter, and saved him. It's amazing. Now, if we're honest with ourselves today, I think some of us might be asking ourselves, why? Why did, why did, Pete, why did Jesus call Peter out of the boat onto the stormy sea, only to have him almost drown and die? Why, why did Jesus permit that storm to be blowing in the darkest hours of the morning in the first place? Why? Why did God permit Job to suffer in the way that he did? Why did, why did God permit our family, why did he permit your family, my uncle, to suffer in the way that he did? Why? I will confess that I cannot begin to fathom all the reasons why God permits these things to happen. We are not in a theodicy here where I'm going to try to get God off the hook. But what I can proclaim on the authority of the Holy Scriptures is that in the midst of the many and the varied storms of life, we are oftentimes led to a place where we despair of ourselves. It's a time where God allows us to see the reality of our storms. He allows us to see the hopelessness of any attempt at trying to save ourselves. And not just from any physical affliction, afflictions like drowning or cancer but also from the cause of all death, which is sin. God often permits that we see things as they are, the wind being fierce, the waves high, and that we're quickly sinking, so that we may call on the only one who can save us. God permits us to see not only through the law, but through our own experiences of suffering, that we need a Savior. And he permits us in those times to hear God's word and to look up to Jesus and to see again Jesus living up to his namesake, Emmanuel, our Savior. For in the midst of the storms, Jesus is strong to save. The very feet of Jesus that walked to the disciples to be with them on the water walked and comes to you through the feet of God's messengers who bring to you God's word and his gifts. The same hand that immediately plunged into the water to rescue Peter is the same hand that was nailed to the cross to rescue us all from sin, from death, 
and from the devil. You might still be thinking, that, well, it's just not fair. It's not fair that God permits these things. It's not fair that he called Peter out of the boat to start sinking. It's not fair that my, my uncle got cancer. It's not fair that the Lord permits the storms in, what, uh, in your life. It's not fair. No, it's not. Fair would be that all of us get what we deserve. Fair would be God pouring out his wrath and anger on us all because of the rebellion of our sin. Fair would be letting Peter drown for his lack of faith or my uncle die because of his dietary choices. That's what fair would be. God is fair. He is just. But he is also merciful and gracious. See, Jesus rather suffer and die to appease the fairness and the justice of God than to lose you or anyone else to sin's suffering and death. Jesus suffered the storms of our sin so that he could not say or that he so that he could save not only Peter but us all. He was buried under the sea of our sin and on the third day raised to glory so that you and I and all who call upon the name of the Lord in faith may be saved. You see, in the midst of the storm, Jesus was with and he saved Peter. In the midst of the storm for my uncle, Jesus was there and he saved him. And yes, in the midst of whatever storms you are now facing, I tell you the truth. Jesus is with you to save. You know, of course, after all this on the Sea of Galilee, after Jesus suffered and died and raised on the third day, he came and sought out Peter. And he restored Peter. He forgave Peter after his threefold denial. It was on Pentecost where Peter the Rock proclaimed Jesus to be the Savior, the Messiah, the, that the Israelites had long been looking for. Peter probably spoke, and spoke often, in fact, of his own little faith and how Jesus pulled him up out of the water. He recounted how Jesus forgave him even after denying him. Peter didn't hide the fact that he needed to be forgiven of his sins and saved from everlasting death and condemnation. In fact, to the day that he died, and even in the manner of his death, Peter proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, God in the flesh, who comes to save in the midst of the storms. Now, I said that Jesus came to my uncle during the storms of his illness, and surely he did. But something else happened during that time. My uncle, by faith, looked at his sickness as a teachable moment, an opportunity for learning, an opportunity to speak about Jesus. And so my uncle told everyone who came to visit him about his Lord and Savior. He was a big man with a big personality, and he knew a lot of people. And he wanted each person who came to his bedside to know that Jesus is strong to save. 
My uncle died a few days after coming home from hospice, if memory serves correct, but I'll never forget his funeral. It was at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin, and I remember his casket was placed on top of the baptismal font, which was at the back of the sanctuary. If you've got the small print bulletins, you can see a picture of what that font looks like. It's unlike one I've ever seen. If you're to look at it, it looks that it's in the shape of a cross. Those who are being baptized would walk through one arm of the cross, descend into the pool of water in the middle, and then after being baptized would walk out through the other arm of the cross. And at the head of the font, there was this little fountain and that would fill with water and spill gently over into the font in the center of the cross. And you'd hear that sound of gurgling water and it would remind you of, of maybe gentle waters lapping on the bow of a ship or in a boat. But inscribed in the arms of the font were these words, dead to sin and on the other side, alive in Christ. Now the placement of the casket on the font was a deliberate reminder of God's promises. It was a reminder that God in the person and the work of Jesus suffered in our place. It was a reminder that Christ Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. It was a reminder that even in the midst of the storms of this life, God comes and God saves. It was a reminder that the baptized, you and I, are those who are brought into the holy ark of the Christian church, whereby God dwells with his people by his word and with his sacraments and by his spirit. It was a reminder that even though the grave of death may swallow our flesh, Jesus himself will plunge his hand into our grave and raise us up. Peter's death, my uncle's death, the death of all Christians, are teachable moments, for they are opportunities to point us to Jesus who comes to save. So, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, take courage. Do not be afraid. Though you endure the storms of this life, the great I am is with you. Jesus is strong to save. For the one who walked on water walked also to the cross of Calvary to rescue you from the abyss of sin and death. And at the last, when he descends from the clouds in glory, all the stormy seas of this present age will be still water. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.